Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. The launch of NASA's most powerful rocket ever built postponed today. The six-week mission is to send an unmanned capsule around the moon and back to Earth. A judge may grant former President Trump's wishes to appoint a special master. But what's the purpose if the DOJ already saw the record seized from Mar-a-Lago? Georgia Governor Brian Kemp is ordered to testify before a special grand jury. This is part of the state's investigation into efforts to influence the 2020 elections. Details are coming out about the Biden administration's plan to give ID cards to illegal immigrants. What we know and how much the program is expected to cost. The Democratic gubernatorial candidate in Florida makes a teachers union leader his pick for lieutenant governor. Republicans question her actions and views on school lockdowns. A 70-year-old baseball card fetches more than $12 million at an auction. A his sports historian gives us its incredible backstory. Thousands of people gathered in Florida this morning to watch the takeoff of NASA's most powerful launch vehicle ever. But before the new moon rocket could lift off, the Artemis mission was called off due to mechanical issues. NTD's Jason Perry speaks with a retired Air Force colonel who explains how certain civilian space projects can advance America's military capabilities in outer space. On Monday morning, thousands of people gathered around Kennedy Space Center in Cape Canaveral, Florida to see the launch of NASA's new moon rocket, which stands about 32 stories tall. Vice President Kamala Harris was also in attendance to view the first flight of NASA's most powerful rocket ever built. The mission, called Artemis One, plans for a six-week test flight of an unmanned capsule around the moon and back to Earth for a splashdown in the Pacific. But before the rocket could launch, the NASA crew was unable to chill one of the rocket's four main engines, and subsequently the launch was postponed. We were out here by 3.45 waiting with the kids and so now that it's not happening, it's just, you know, it just kind of sucks <laughs> that we have to miss it. Artemis mission manager Mike Serafin later addressed the issue. We said we would not launch unless we, um, uh, we got through the uh, demonstration of our ability to thermally condition the engines. Uh, we need that uh, in order to start the engines and, and run them successfully. So. Uh, we just didn't get there today. I spoke with senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation, Jonathan Venable, who explained the various United States entities at work on missions into space. You have the military and the United States Space Force, which is actually moving down one line of thinking, which is offense and defense. You've got the satellites and the infrastructure in space that is being more or less put into orbit by that uh, that commercial entity, which has really blossomed over the years and given us a great space launch capability, almost on demand. And then the third side is uh, the NASA program, and Artemis is really coming to light now uh, as they move towards putting uh, man back on the moon and then potentially uh, using that as a staging uh, area for, for us to launch missions onto Mars. The next available opportunity for NASA's Artemis launch is Friday, September 2nd. Jason Perry, NTD News. Space travel has captivated those in the private sector as well. 
The ashes of multiple Star Trek personalities are set to be launched into outer space later this year. Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry, his wife, James Doohan, who played Scotty, and Michelle Nichols, who played Uhura, will all go for one last trip to space, the final frontier. They'll join others aboard a rocket named Vulcan on the first private company launch into deep space. And back on Earth, a federal judge says she's likely to appoint the special master that former President Trump requested. But the Justice Department says it's already looked at the documents. Is the special master still needed? NTD's Arlene Richards reports. Ever since the FBI searched former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence three weeks ago, Trump has said the raid was politically motivated. Last week, he filed papers requesting a special master and asked the court to stop the Department of Justice from reviewing the documents they took. In a preliminary response on Friday, the district court judge hinted at her intent to grant Trump's wishes. I asked a legal affairs expert to explain what a special master is. Want somebody else outside of Justice Department to look at these documents and determine whether or not they are evidence, whether or not they're privileged. He explained why Trump's team made the request. This could help the Trump administration by ensuring that whatever documents should be privileged for the former president remain that way the document should be returned to the former president without further examination. But in a recent filing, the department said it already reviewed all the documents. Should the special master request be dismissed? And there's so much distrust, I think the president's team will argue that, look, it's nice that they're doing a filter team, but we really want somebody who is truly neutral, somebody outside the Department of Justice to review these documents. He said there are two teams that review these documents. There's a filter team, which is supposed to look at it first with respect to whether there are privileged documents and have those returned to the president. Then, and only then, will the filter team give these documents to the other part of the Department of Justice that is pursuing the prosecution and criminal investigation. And that's the team that the president doesn't want to have these papers before a special master looks at them first. Both sides must submit additional information to the judge, including why a special master should be appointed and details on what property was seized. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. Senator Lindsey Graham says he expects riots if former President Trump is prosecuted for mishandling classified information. He said it in an interview with Fox News on Sunday. Here's a clip from that interview. And I'll say this. If there's a prosecution of Donald Trump for mishandling classified information after the Clinton debacle, which you presided over and did a hell of a good job, there'll be riots in the streets. Graham said Trump is facing a double standard, as Hillary Clinton was not prosecuted for maintaining classified information on a home email server. The senator added, quote, most Republicans, including me, believe when it comes to Trump, there is no law. It's all about getting him. I've never been more worried about the law and politics as I am right now. In Charleston on Monday, the senator clarified his remarks, saying, quote, I reject violence. I'm not calling for violence. His spokesperson said the comment was a prediction, not a threat. And in Georgia's investigation into attempts to influence the 2020 election, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp will have to appear before a special grand jury, but not until after the upcoming election. The Republican is running for another term as governor of the Peach State. 
Kemp has been subpoenaed to testify in Fulton County's investigation. He attempted to have the subpoena quashed, but the judge rejected the effort. The judge did say there will be a limit to the questions due to attorney-client privilege. He also recently upheld a subpoena on Trump campaign lawyer Kenneth Chesebro. And Pennsylvania is making a sudden change to voter registration, just 11 weeks before the November midterms. You can now register to vote at the same time you request a mail-in ballot instead of doing the two separately. Pennsylvania combined the voter registration form with the mail-in ballot application on August 19. It's a small change, but it's causing headaches for county election directors and leaving voters with questions. Krista Miller is the election director of Lancaster County. She told the Epic Times, we use a voter registration application for one thing, we use a mail-in ballot application for something different. One has to be done before the other. Obviously, you have to be a voter in order to get a detailed ballot, so that has to be processed first. And then your mail-in ballot application can be processed. Here's the solution they've come up with. First, they register the person to vote using the top part of the form. Then they make a copy of the form to process the mail-in ballot portion later. The Pennsylvania Department of State says the goal of the change is to simplify the process for voters. Now they don't have to fill out two forms. But Miller says that voters are confused. They aren't sure if they're registering to vote or registering for mail-in voting. Miller says, we asked the state to wait until December. This is going to take voter education and explaining how the new form works. The Pennsylvania Department of State hasn't commented on the timing. And the Biden administration is planning to give illegal immigrants ID cards. A new document obtained by the Epic Times outlines the plan, including how much it would cost. The document says a pilot program called the Secure Docket Card would give some illegal immigrants a card with a photo and a QR code. The card would also have features to prevent counterfeits. The document says it would replace the current ad hoc system and enable ICE officials to more quickly verify an illegal immigrant's status and help them make it to court hearings. Key components of the program were slated to begin on August 1st, including designing the ID card and developing an online portal with court dates and other information. Those components should be completed by March 1st, 2023, and cards would be distributed sometime before September 30th next year. The estimated total costs were pledged, pegged at $2.5 million. Democrat Charlie Crist is running for governor in Florida against Ron DeSantis. And Crist announced his running mate this weekend, but many Republicans are highlighting her past. Gubernatorial candidate Charlie Crist is challenging Florida Governor Ron DeSantis in this year's election. Over the weekend, Crist announced his running mate, Carla Hernandez-Matz, who's the president of Miami-Dade County's Teachers Union. After the announcement, Hernandez-Matz gave a speech implying that Governor DeSantis is an authoritarian leader. Are you sick of politicians who act like authoritarians trying to tear apart our democracy? And Charlie Crist called DeSantis a dictator earlier this month. The governor responded to that comment at a press conference last week, pointing out how he kept Florida open during the pandemic. We protected people's freedoms, jobs, businesses. We made sure kids could be in, in school. According to NBC6 South Florida, when DeSantis wanted to reopen schools in 2020, Hernandez-Matz criticized him, saying it was a dangerous thing to do. 
Hernandez Matz came under scrutiny last year when she posted this picture, comparing Halloween figures and killers to parents who attend school board meetings. According to the Miami Herald, the Miami-Dade Teachers Union defended a child predator for multiple years. A teacher allegedly started molesting students in 2004, asking to see their genitals and more, and multiple complaints were filed against him. Hernandez Matz reportedly dismissed the allegations by saying that employees were deemed to be safe in a school environment once the school system hires them. This teacher later pleaded guilty to sexual activity with a child in 2020 and was sentenced to eight years in prison. We reached out to Charlie Crist's team for comment, but didn't hear back before broadcast. Floridians are scheduled to vote for the state's governor on November 8th. Reporting by Arian Pazdar, NTD News. And Florida Governor Ron DeSantis was scheduled to attend a fundraiser for New York gubernatorial candidate Lee Zeldin on Sunday, but then canceled at the last minute. DeSantis instead attended a memorial for his, a member of his security detail who died in the line of duty earlier this month. The New York Post reports that the agent was struck by a drunk driver and later passed away. And another prominent San Franciscan has been found guilty in a string of public corruption cases in the city. This time, the felony was bank fraud. A jury convicted Victor McCross, a prominent San Francisco real estate broker and investor, on Friday for bank fraud. According to the Department of Justice, he was found guilty of making false statements to a bank and of bank fraud tied to fraudulent representations made in a mortgage refinance loan application. Back in October 2021, both McCross and Harlan Kelly, the former general manager of the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission, were charged for conspiring to defraud $1.3 million from Quicken Loans, a financial lending institution. The 64-year-old was charged in four criminal counts for bank fraud, conspiring to commit bank fraud, conspiring to make a false statement to a bank, and making false statements to a bank. But the jury only convicted McCross of two counts, making false statements to a bank and bank fraud. The jury was unable to reach a verdict regarding the other two counts. Making false statements to a bank carries a maximum penalty of 30 years imprisonment and a $1 million fine. Bank fraud carries nearly the same penalty. McCross awaits his sentencing out of custody. No future date has yet been set. The case is part of a larger investigation targeting public corruption in San Francisco. According to the DOJ, so far, 12 people have been charged, including former Public Works Director Mohamed Nuru, who was sentenced last week to seven years in federal prison. And the U.S. Embassy in Iraq is not under threat and not evacuating amid violence in the Iraqi capital of Baghdad. This is according to John Kirby of the National Security Council. Hundreds of protesters stormed the Iraqi government palace and clashed with security forces earlier today. The conflict erupted after an influential Muslim cleric announced that he would resign from Iraqi politics. Iraq's military announced a nationwide curfew and the caretaker premier suspended cabinet sessions in response to the violence. Local media said at least 15 protesters were killed and dozens more were wounded. At least one soldier was also killed. The U.S. Embassy in Iraq said in a statement, quote, Reports of unrest throughout Iraq today are disturbing as Iraqi institutions are not being allowed to operate. 
The United States is concerned about escalating tensions and urges all parties to remain peaceful and refrain from acts that could lead to a cycle of violence. And coming up, a new investment strategy catching on. You can generate income from real estate just by working from your laptop. And what could statewide bans on gas-powered cars mean for you? What a consumer research organization has to say. More on that after the break. Welcome back. Imagine buying real estate, renting it out, and generating passive income all from your laptop. As investors buy more and more houses, a large number are doing it without even visiting the properties. NTD's Colin Fredrickson has more. Investors are buying far more homes right now than they were before the pandemic, and among those investors include laptop landlords. Typically, the best deals nationally aren't in your own local market. The best deals are typically in other markets. So you want to buy in a market where you have a reasonable expectation of job growth and a diversity of economic sectors. Keith Weinhold is the host of the Get Rich Education podcast, as well as the author of Seven Money Myths That Are Killing Your Wealth Potential. Weinhold buys and rents real estate 100% from his laptop and phone without setting foot on the properties himself. I do research on the market, making sure that I'm buying a property in a growing job market. And then secondly, I do research on, you know, who's a good turnkey real estate provider using things like, you know, Google reviews and Yelp reviews. Investors can use data services to research neighborhoods online. They can look at things like crime rates, sales prices, and infrastructure. An educated investor can do turnkey investing. However, they need boots on the ground like an experienced agent who they really trust thoroughly. Erin Sykes is the chief economist of Nest Seekers International, a luxury real estate brokerage firm. Sykes says investors need to intrinsically understand the community they're investing in. I would not recommend going in blind uh, to an area that you don't know. You don't know the trends. You don't know um, those boots on the ground. You don't know agents. You don't know contractors. You don't know uh, other landlords. You don't know the going rates. So all of those things you need to really have experience in. Sykes suggests it's more important to have someone visit the property, even if it's not yourself. She says the internet can be inaccurate and pictures and listings can be misleading. Well, we've been investing out of area for a long, long time, and we've always done it by traveling to the market, getting to know the market. Russell Gray is a co-host at the Real Estate Guys radio show. Gray believes in visiting the neighborhood in person. When you go into a new market that you haven't been to before, you're looking for things that you can't find online. You look at the quality of the infrastructure, the freeways well taken care of. Does the community appear to care about itself? You drive around neighborhoods, you look for signs of over supply. Gray believes the internet is a powerful tool, but doesn't replace in-person visits. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. And as we continue to make more EVs and develop other forms of sustainable energy, the world still needs to extract more oil and gas for civilization to endure. That's the message from Tesla CEO Elon Musk. He made the remarks in Norway at an energy event. Musk said, quote, realistically, we do need to use oil and gas in the short term because otherwise civilization will crumble, end quote. He also says people should continue to use and further explore fossil fuels 
and in the meantime, speed up the development of sustainable energy. Musk is at the conference to provide ideas for expanding wind power in the North Sea. The oil and gas industry is facing a wide range of hurdles, including a shrinking supply of capital, a hostile regulatory environment, and shortages of materials and labor. And one of North America's largest electric vehicle events took place in New York this past weekend. NTD's Sean Marshall went there to check it out. So what's the top speed of this car? <laughs> the top speed could be whatever you want it, really. Jump over each other in the air, there's gap jumps, there's all sorts of stuff. And this is an electric car that will do it. So it's a thousand horsepower. This is not a regular, uh, this is not your grocery getter. New technologies, sometimes called the Tesla of scooters, was giving scooter test drives and let me test out their fastest scooter. It's a kick scooter, electric kick scooter that has up to 40 miles in range. It goes about 24 miles per hour at max speed. So stability for us, we have a wider deck on our electric kick scooters. We also have a 15 degree pitch for our handlebar stem, which allows for a more comfortable ride. Uh, and we also do uh, uh, incorporate a lot of safety features. Top EV car manufacturers were also showing off their latest vehicles. So Toyota has big plans for the future. We hope to have 70 electrified vehicles globally by the year 2025, which is right around the corner. And we hope to be carbon neutral by the year 2050. You know, we take it beyond just electrification. We also are going leather free in our interiors. We're very committed to responsibility in manufacturing and recycling of cars, you know, once their useful life has ended. And uh, so I think Volvo has a very exciting future. Can't leave out the water sports. The Seabob company has been around 10 years longer than the first Tesla has been around. We are the fun people in the water, so it's so easy to use from the beach, from a yacht, from a boat. Um, and they are even used for water rescue. Um, uh, more and more lifeguards use them because they are absolutely safe. The Expo's next stop is Miami in October and then Austin, Texas in November. Sean Marshall, NTD News. LG and Honda are investing $4.4 billion in the United States to produce batteries for Honda's electric vehicles. It's part of a growing trend of automakers trying to build battery factories here in the U.S. Mass production of advanced lithium-ion battery cells will start by the end of 2025. The plant will produce batteries exclusively for Honda vehicles assembled in North America. Ford, General Motors, Toyota, Hyundai, Kia, Stellantis and VinFast have announced plans for 10 U.S. battery plants. LG already makes the batteries in joint ventures with General Motors and Ford. Companies are betting that demand for electric vehicles will grow in the U.S. and around the world. And after California's move to ban gas-powered cars accelerated last week with a new rule, Virginia's Governor Glenn Youngkin is vowing to scrap the rule for his state, which last year tied its own vehicle carbon emissions legislation to California's. And it's not the only state to have similar trigger laws tied to California on this topic or to be influenced by California's policies in this area. More than a dozen states have followed California's lead here. Together, they account for a third of the American auto market. So this shift for Californians could have far-reaching implications. 
Earlier today, I spoke with the executive director of Consumers Research, Will Hild, to learn more about that impact. Will Hild, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Now, California is moving to electric vehicles only, and Virginia, Washington, and Massachusetts are following in their wake based on trigger laws that they have. What's your view of these new rules? Well, uh, as the executive director of Consumers Research, the nation's oldest consumer protection organization, we think this is a horrible assault on consumer choice. These bans force consumers to buy products that are way more expensive than gas-powered alternatives. Not only that, EV technology is not uh, fully up to date yet. There's problems with the batteries. There's problems with the costs of replacing them. Um, and in addition to that, metals like lithium and cobalt that go into making these electronic vehicles. So forcing the entire market to move to them is going to create a bottleneck effect. And you think the prices are high now, it's going to skyrocket. So in your view, could these policies do more harm than good? Absolutely. There are also issues, even, even the, the stated goals of these uh, gas-powered bans, this idea that they're going to lower CO2 output, that doesn't take into effect the CO2 output of building an EV. There's all kinds of issues with the mining of the metals that go into it, but also the energy that charges the batteries still has to be produced somewhere. And 60% of the electrical grid in the United States is still powered with fossil fuels and emits carbon. So this isn't exactly clear that it would even lower carbon emissions on net. Critics of this move are saying that there's key infrastructure that's just not in place yet for this kind of move. How do you think this could affect the U.S. economy if it's pushed forward without that infrastructure? Well, it's a huge problem for our production of automobiles. It's a huge problem for consumers and the increased cost. But it's also a huge problem for our electrical grid, which is currently set up to, to ebb and flow with the sort of flow of daily life. We produce more energy during the day and less at night. And that is, if everyone is plugging in their electric vehicles at night, the entire grid is going to have to be reworked in order to satisfy that. And in fact, some of the same energy sources that the people who are pushing these bans purport to want to support, like solar and wind, they decrease in production at night at the very point which their electronic vehicle fetish would need ex excess energy. So it's going to probably cause more natural gas and coal to have to be used to charge these vehicles. And is the price of that of those uh, fuel sources goes up, it's unclear that that consumers would even save money on fuel because the in, the increase in energy costs of, of charging the vehicle uh, may outweigh the, the the savings in gasoline. So what do you say to proponents of the move that often say that actually over time EVs are better for your budget? Well, they should look to Europe and what's going on there. It is currently cheaper to run per mile a diesel engine than it is to charge an EV because of the you know continent-wide shortage of fossil fuels in that country and energy production in that country. So if they would like to see a, a vision of our future that they are creating, they should look no farther than Europe and the massive problems that that continent is having. And are you concerned that this ban on gas-powered cars could extend to bans on other gas-powered products? 
Absolutely. I think this is just the beginning. Uh, the proponents of these bands have stated that their intent is to phase out all internal combustion engines. And who knows where that ends? They could move on to other products that they simply find distasteful. We're seeing this happen globally. There was recently an Australian bank that said that they would no longer make loans for gas-powered vehicles. So the question is, is the consumer going to be able to decide for themselves what products they want to purchase and use? Or are they going to be dictated to by a combination of government forces, but also the financial industry. All right. Will Held, Executive Director of Consumers First, thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And up next, a caravan held in Southern California to honor and remember the lives lost during the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. We hear from a mother who lost her son. And a 70-year-old baseball card fetched more than $12 million at an auction Sunday. NTD's Dave Martin talked with a sports card historian on its incredible backstory. That and more coming up. Over the weekend, friends and family of service members held a memorial for the lives lost during the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. NTD's Jackie Rios has that story. One year ago, on August 26, 13 proud young American soldiers were killed in a terrorist attack in Afghanistan. This past Saturday, a caravan cruise was held to honor them. The Say Their Names cruise started in the Southern California city of San Clemente. The caravan was held to call on U.S. leadership to acknowledge the names of the service members who lost their lives that day. Leading the caravan was Shauna Chappelle, the mother of Lance Corporal Kareem Nikoi, one of the fallen soldiers. This last year has been actually pretty hard for me and my family. Um, still trying to accept that Kareem is gone and not coming back. Um, because there's still days where it's it's hard to believe that he's actually gone. Um, and then also, um, as August approached, my oldest son started having um, more problems with the fact that his brother wasn't coming home and um, he was missing him a lot and kept expressing he wanted to be with them. And August 9th, he took his own life. Her second son's name was Dakota Halverson. The caravan gathered together at the Fallen 13 Memorial Garden Square in Narco, where ceremony took place. Friends, family, and community members came to the solemn event to honor Kareem and support for Chappelle. I have my other kids, too. Um, they need their mom. I need them. So they keep me going. And I have my grandkids. I have four now because we just had two new ones added. Um, and then, yeah, all the people that sh keep, continue to show their love and support, Kareem's Marine Brothers and everyone from my town. My town is very supportive, so it, it helps. Chappelle recalled what was best about her son. His personality, Kareem had a great personality. He always wanted to make sure everybody was laughing or smiling. Um, so he would use his personality a lot to make sure you were laughing and smiling. And he was very, very caring, thoughtful, helpful. He was amazing in every way. As somebody, he was a person. He was my son. He was a good person. Um, 
like I said before, he was care caring, thoughtful, helpful, just a really great person. He was only 20 years old. He's never going to get to have a wife or children. Um, he was he was good in every way. The attack that took Nikoi's life happened last year as the United States withdrew from Afghanistan, marking the end of one of the longest wars in U.S. history. We will forever be grateful to the 13 soldiers who sacrificed their lives in Afghanistan to keep our country safe. Jackie Rios, NTD News, California. And following up on NTD's seventh traditional Chinese martial arts competition in New York. Finals were on Sunday, and dozens of participants from around the world showcased their kung fu skills. The seventh NTD International Traditional Chinese Martial Arts Competition took place over three days and concluded on Sunday in Middletown, New York. 48 competitors from around the world took part in seven categories. One of them is a father and son duo from Colombia, who both won silver. We wake up at 3 in the morning and begin practicing martial arts from 4 a.m. to 7 a.m. It's been this way pretty much since I was born. We pay a lot of attention to our spiritual cultivation. That's why we've been able to do martial arts well, because our spirit and body are one. Another silver medalist is Lin Chi Xun from Taiwan, who participated in the Southern Fist category. A competition like this one makes us confident that we are traveling in the right direction and that we are willing to keep trying our best and pass on this martial art. The competition aims to revive traditional Chinese martial arts and display their true value to the world. Chris Chappell, the host of China Uncensored, also participated as a contestant, a fan of traditional Chinese culture. He's been learning martial arts since a young age. Chappell won the Award of Excellence this year and shared the biggest lesson he learned about traditional martial arts. The biggest lesson I've learned from particularly Chinese-style traditional martial arts is uh, they have a saying in ancient China, you know, the soft overcomes the hard. I think you've probably heard of it. Um, and I think a lot of times in life we learn that, like, you know, anger or rage, those are, you know, a type of strength that we can use to like get through hard times but it's a very dangerous emotion because then that can turn on people closest to you, family, friends. But in Chinese martial arts you learn that strength can come through tranquility and peace and that's a much bigger, broader form of strength. The competition has four award categories, gold, silver, bronze and excellent. This year 25 competitors won bronze, nine won silver but no one qualified for gold. We've had this kind of situation in every past competition. If the folks don't meet the standard for gold, we leave the medals unawarded. This would also encourage the folks. If they come back in future competitions and show improvement, that spot is open for them. The judge says it's unfortunate that no one qualified for gold this year, but that he hopes they will be able to hand out the golden award next year. The traditional Chinese martial arts competition is a part of a series of international culture and arts events organized by NTD. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. A 1952 Mickey Mantle Topps rookie card sold for an astounding $12.6 million on Sunday. That's a record for not only sports cards, but for all sports memorabilia. The 70-year-old piece of history was in exceptional shape for its age, given a grading of 9.5 out of 10 by a professional card grading company. 
Mantle himself was maybe the most popular player of his generation, winning three MVP awards and seven World Series titles, all while playing for baseball's flagship team, the New York Yankees. But according to Paul Banks, who is a founder and publisher of the sportsbank.net, his immense popularity isn't the only reason this card is so highly coveted. What really makes this card the holy grail of all holy grails is its special backstory. And what, by, what I mean by the backstory is that originally Topps produced way too many of these that they could sell. The demand far outstripped the supply. In 1952, Topps sold their first full sets of cards. And unlike other brands, these weren't just inserts in tobacco or candy products. They were sold in packs of six and were the first with autographs on the front and a bio on the back but the company had trouble selling them to the point of nearly giving them away at 10 cards for a penny. But Banks told me that still wasn't enough to get rid of them. After 10 years, the company actually had to arrange for some dump trucks to discard the immense surplus. And they took them out on barges and they took them out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and they just dumped crates and crates of 52 Topps cards into the ocean. I mean, it's, yeah, it's like something that should be narrated by Ray Liotta. It's just phenomenal. And just to think, when you think about where things have gone and how they've come, that's something you couldn't give away. And now something that was intentionally destroyed and made it in there and thereby making the card so scarce. Now it's absolutely priceless. The Mantle record price far exceeded the 7.25 million paid for a Honus Wagner card just earlier this month as well as the 9.3 million that Diego Maradona's 1986 World Cup jersey went for just a few months ago. And in NFL news, Washington Commanders running back Brian Robinson Jr. said Monday he underwent surgery after being shot the day before in what is being termed an attempted robbery or carjacking. The team posted an update from Brian saying, quote, thanks for the prayers, God is great. According to a D.C. police report, Robinson was shot in one of his legs by two suspects. The 23-year-old rookie was taken to a hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. According to head coach Ron Rivera, Robinson was just trying to get some food when the incident happened outside a popular Washington establishment. Rivera said there's currently no timetable for his return. Washington opens the season on September 11 against Jacksonville. That's all for your sports news today. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And coming up, two U.S. warships sail through the Taiwan Strait. It's the first time American ships have passed through since the House Speaker's visit to Taiwan. China's reaction. And nearly one in four adults in the U.K. say they won't turn their heating on this winter as energy costs skyrocket. Some consider taking out loans to stay warm. More on that in a moment here on NTD News. China is accusing the U.S. of making trouble after two U.S. warships sailed through the Taiwan Strait on Sunday. The U.S. says it's maintained a consistent policy that the voyage is nothing new. Here's NTD's Tiffany Meyer with that and more. Two U.S. Navy warships sailed through international waters in the Taiwan Strait on Sunday, the first since U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan. 
Beijing claims the South Pole Taiwan as its own territory and takes issue with any actions that suggest support for the island as separate from mainland China. The U.S. Navy confirmed the Chancellorsville and the Antietam cruisers were carrying out the ongoing operation. A White House official called the ship's passage through the Taiwan Strait as very consistent with Washington's One China policy and efforts to maintain a free and open Indo-Pacific. A day after the vessels passed through the strait, China's foreign ministry urged the U.S. to avoid being what it called a troublemaker. At the same time, Taiwan says China is still carrying out military activities in the waters surrounding it. The island's defense ministry detected 23 Chinese aircraft operating around Taiwan on Sunday. That's including seven that crossed the median line of the Taiwan Strait. That's the dividing line that acts as an unofficial barrier between the two sides. As of Monday, the number of Chinese fighter jets that has crossed the median line rose to 12. Chinese army units have arrived in Russia's Far East ahead of joint military drills. The military exercises are dubbed the Vostok 2022. They're set to begin Thursday, September 1st, and will span one week. Participants include Russia, China, India, Belarus, and Tajikistan. Earlier this month, China's defense ministry said its participation was part of its cooperation agreement with Russia. Last month, Moscow announced plans to hold the Vostok exercises. It noted that some foreign forces would join in, but didn't name them. Over in the Indo-Pacific, another drill is heating up. Known as the Japan Orient Shield 22, the exercise kicked off its opening ceremony on Saturday. It's the largest field training exercise between the U.S. Army and Japan's Ground Self-Defense Force. The exercises will be held throughout Japan. China has ramped up military activities since U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan last month. Beijing sent 12 fighter jets across the Taiwan Strait median line on Monday. That line marks an unofficial barrier between China and Taiwan. China's months-long heat wave may be coming to an end, but what follows may not be the relief residents are hoping for. China's Central Weather Observatory issued a heavy rain warning Monday. It covers areas in southern and central China and could mean flood conditions are on their way. The advisory also includes Chongqing City, which was plagued by severe drought over the last two months. This as high temperatures are still scorching most of southeastern China. The intense heat wave has been roasting the country's Yangtze River Basin for more than two months. It's already set a record for its duration and geographic scope. People across nearly 530,000 square miles are suffering under temperatures exceeding 104 degrees Fahrenheit. That's an area as large as Texas, Colorado and California combined. The highest recorded temperatures there soar to 113 degrees Fahrenheit. Resulting drought conditions have also hit the region's hydropower generation. To make up for the lacking electricity, 67 coal-driven power plants have had to return to operation. A number of forest fires have also been sparked. This year, August rainfall is down 60% compared to the seasonal norm, putting the fall harvest in jeopardy. On top of that, more elderly people have been admitted to hospitals, suffering from heat-related health issues. But as the seasons begin to shift, parts of China may be in for a different kind of issue. On Monday, flooding was caught on camera in the southwestern city of Chengdu. Torrential rain in the mountainous area also caused mudslides. 
but it's the combination of drought then rain that poses the biggest danger. With crops and other vegetation shriveling under intense heat, plant roots no longer hold soil in place. That means when the heavy rains do arrive, the loose soil will be more prone to getting washed away. Reports from China's southwestern Chongqing say residents are protesting local lockdown orders. In a video circulating online, locals are seen taking to the streets, shouting, remove the lockdown. Security guards were deployed to the site. The video's caption said more than a thousand residents joined the Saturday protest. By the end, local authorities removed the community's lockdown mandate. A similar demonstration appeared in the city of Shenzhen. There, crowds of people were heard shouting, stop the lockdown. The protest not only took issue with lockdown requirements, but also to China's wide-reaching virus test mandates. In another video from last week, a large crowd in Chongqing City came out to oppose mass virus testing. And over in the UK, nearly one in four adults say they won't turn their heating on at all this winter due to soaring costs. A recent poll shows that this figure is even higher for parents who live with their children, and the majority of respondents said they would switch their heating on less. This report comes from NTD's Malcolm Hudson. Skyrocketing energy prices may force households to go cold as temperatures begin to drop over the coming months. A survey found that nearly one in four adults plan not to use their heating this winter, while others will be taking out loans just to stay warm. Pollsters at Savanta Comres, a leading market research firm, asked more than 2,000 adults in the UK how they would respond to increasing energy prices over the winter. The survey was carried out at the end of July before the new price cap increase was announced. They found that 23% of adults said they won't turn their heating on this winter, while 27% of parents with children under 18 said the same. 69% said they would switch their heating on less, and 11% said they would take a loan out to pay their bills. But this figure rose to 17% for parents. The polling also suggests that parents are increasingly likely to put more money on their credit cards due to rising energy bills. The Liberal Democrats, who commissioned the survey, warned families are being forced to make heartbreaking decisions. It comes amid continued warnings that people are in for a challenging winter. Ofgem announced the energy price cap will rise by 80% in October, pushing the average household's yearly bill up from nearly 2,000 to over 3,500. A Liberal Democrat spokeswoman called for the energy price cap rise to be scrapped, with another windfall tax on oil and gas firms used to pay for it. But nothing is set yet. Chancellor Nadim Zahawi said he is working flat out to draw up options for a plan of action. He says it will allow the next Prime Minister to hit the ground running when he or she takes office. Malcolm Hudson, NTD News, London. And still in the UK, a Royal Navy aircraft carrier broke down off the south coast shortly after embarking for exercises in the US. Here are the details. The 65,000-ton warship left Portsmouth Naval Base on Saturday before an emerging mechanical issue occurred. The three billion pound carrier's departure had already been delayed from Friday because of a technical issue. The Royal Navy says it is moving the ship to a different location for further inspection. 
The carrier is moving slowly towards Gosport, where the sheltered area should make it easier for divers to examine the damage. The UK's biggest warship was sailing to undertake training exercises with the US Navy, the Royal Canadian Navy, and the United States Marine Corps. And coming up, a museum in Chicago challenges our perceptions. We take a look inside a world where not everything is as it seems. That and more when we return. Some say seeing is believing, suggesting they believe only what their eyes see is the truth. But can we really trust what we see? NTD takes you to a mesmerizing world to find out. The Museum of Illusion Chicago held a special Dog Days of Summer event over the weekend to welcome visitors and their furry friends. Stacy Steck, marketing manager of the museum, says the illusions not only entertain, but also educate. It's all designed to mess with your brain and confuse you, uh, but also to educate you. So we call ourselves an edutainment concept where you are going to laugh and have a great time and get some fun photos, but you're also going to learn a thing or two about vision, perception, and the brain. The tilted room creates gravity-defying magic. It looks like I am able to de defy gravity right now with the way that I'm leaning back. Um, I'm actually on a slanted surface, but the cool thing is the camera doesn't pick that up. The Ames Room was created by an American ophthalmologist and psychologist. Two people walk inside and they appear to grow and shrink as they go from one corner of the room to the next. It's essentially an experiment in forced perspective, hence creating an illusion. The vortex tunnel confuses visitors' brains and vestibular systems. There is a tunnel that you walk into, which we're standing in right now, and it's spinning around us, and it creates the illusion um, that you are actually spinning. So right now, it feels like you and I are not on a flat surface, but I promise that we are. So this illusion throws off your balance and equilibrium just a little bit. Frankie Hodges from Chicago poses with her little dog, an illusion created by the Boucher chair. Don't believe everything you see. <laughs> For, for instance, him looking like he's not as tall, as big as he is, and you know, in that picture we just took, so <laughs> that's not true. We all know he's like 5'6 on his hind legs, so yes, I love it here. It's really nice. Kajri Asthana and her friends look like off the wall, but this is only a trick done by rotating the video. Seeing is not always believing because you don't know until you actually come it, so it's interesting. It's a very interesting, uh, it's a very good museum. Many more illusions at the museum challenge visitors to see things differently and reveal how human brains interpret reality. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News, Chicago. And in Malta, contestants showed their prowess in climbing up a greasy pole yesterday, part of a traditional festival on the island nation. In the town of St. Julian's, which lies close to the capital Valletta, a 16-meter pole is covered in 15 liters of lard and fixed at an angle from the promenade. Participants run up the pole trying to grab three flags at its end before the lard and gravity take their toll. The watching crowd delights at the angles at which they invariably fall into the Mediterranean. The festival celebrates St. Julian, the patron saint of the town. The blue and white flag is dedicated to St. Mary and the yellow and white one is for the Vatican. And the Belgian tricolor is shown since St. Julian is believed to have been born in the Belgian town of Ath in 7 AD. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.